And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast, with me, your host, Barry Kirby. And welcome to the first proper episode of 2022. Personally, I can't believe it's 2022, not to mention that by the time you get into this podcast, then January is pretty much done. But hopefully, fingers crossed, this will be the year that we'll get to spend some more time in each other's company, physically rather than just virtually. But the past two years, whilst they, they've gone by in a, in, in a really quick time, and who can remember what, what 2021 looked like, never mind 2020, the pandemic fundamentally has changed things for everybody. And we've been living that um, an enforced work from home where you can for, uh, where you have been for a long time now. You may recall we had a discussion at the beginning of the pandemic with Kirsty Angra, where she gave us some hints and tips about how to make the most of the space we have and how to work during the day about making the use of the, um, the, the dining room table, the ironing board, and, you know, make sure you've got plenty of rest. But if the pandemic has made us do anything, it's to really look at the value of working differently. The hybrid nature has allowed us to spend more time at home with families and rethink what our working day looks like. There is now a strong drive that we can be much more flexible in our working. Indeed, we've proven that employees can be trusted and will deliver what they need to, rather than the underlying idea that employees, if they were going to be at home, they spend all the time in front of the TV. In fact, there's now suggestions that we can go even further. Change everything, sell off the offices and do it all from home. Personally, I think that's going a bit far for a number of reasons, including team working, mental health, and simply not having the right facilities at home to work properly. I know some people who are still working from their dining room tables and still using ironing boards. So I'm home today's guest will help us address some of the issues surrounding that last topic, the ability to work from home correctly, with the right equipment, and in the right way. Guy Osmond is the owner of Osmond Ergonomics, a company that specialises in the ergonomics uh, in ergonomic furniture, I first met Guy a few years ago at the Ergonomics Conference and was so taken with the passion with which he talks about what he does, and therefore I'm really pleased to get some time with him today. Guy, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you very much, and I'm very pleased to do so, Barry. Cool. Um, so before we get into this main topic around how we can work from home and how we can make that work for us, let's get to know you a bit more. So what is your current role? What, what does the owner of Osmond Ergonomics actually do on a day-to-day basis? Oh, my favourite question. Guy, please talk about yourself. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I'll try and keep it sharp. So um, I run the company Osmond Economics. I've been in business for 45, 46 years. We've been in the workplace economics, specifically through furniture and that sort of thing, for nearly 30 years now. Um, so my job is much as it was before, but with a lot of other complica- complications since COVID, because obviously there's a lot more considerations. So um, I hopefully support my various members of staff. I've got a really good team. So our average length of service I was looking at the other day is nearly 10 years. So I've got a wow. very motivated, engaged team. So um they probably think I don't do very much, but I sort of do quite a lot in the background, just trying to figure out what's happening next, anticipating what's happened or what's going to happen, and um, or clearing up what just happened, depending what, how the day's going. So, 
like I said, that that is a heck of a long time to be in um, in one role. Effectively, you know, you're seeing that length of time and seeing your business grow. What inspired you into that in the first place? How did how did it all come about? Well, I'd like to say I've always had this grand plan and vision of where my life's going, but that's very far from the <laughs> truth. And this, like many other things in my life, was pure coincidence. A um, bit of an unfortunate one initially, but I had. I put my back out as a, a workplace injury, frankly, working for my father when, you know, 40, 50 years ago, not 45 years ago, you know, workplace health and safety wasn't quite as focused and organized as it is these days. Just as a silly thing, put my back out, it had recurred. And then nearly 30 years ago, I put it out again, went to see my doctor who referred me to her husband, who was a rheumatologist. And he had designed a thing at Salisbury Hospital called the Desktop Desk, which is effectively taking the old school desk idea of a sloping workstation and applying it to a keyboard and screen and stuff. So it was a an old school desk type design for um, to use with a computer. Um, and it cut a very long story short because we did a lot of negotiating with an NHS trust, which, as you can imagine, is like running in treacle much of the time. But we ended up manufacturing that under license, and that was our first product. Um, and it came about just around sort of early 90s, so just when the first DSE regs were coming into place. So we exhibited a, what was probably the wasn't health and safety or ROSPA show or something, um, for our first time with one product, not really quite knowing what. I didn't at that stage realize I was in ergonomics, I don't think. I just thought <laughs> we had a good idea that might have a market. So, um, and then of course we we saw this interweb thing coming and we registered ergonomics.co.uk. I think about six months before the ergonomic societies it then was registered ergonomics.org.uk. So clever. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I, I would like to say now and again I have vision and thinking maybe the internet was going somewhere was something that I did think we ought to get on to, get on with. No, that's really fascinating though, to see how you've had that um you know, that inspiration again born off life experience and and just seeing that flourish. It's um is that something you thought what, what was the original plan? Did you have an original plan be, so before this came to play? What, when you were, um, what, uh, what did little guy want to be when he was older? Oh, God, no idea. I mean, over the years, I've been in all sorts of businesses. So I, 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 my father owned a business, was very entrepreneurial. I suppose I'm the oldest of four boys. It naturally seemed I would go into business. But, you know, to suggest there was something as grand as strategy would be completely <laughs> overstating it. Fair enough. Um, you mentioned about um, COVID nineteen, and we'll get we'll get onto um, you know how you've dealt with COVID nineteen in the business. But how have you found working through COVID yourself? So obviously you've had to work from home and that type of thing. How have you found it? Um, I love working from home. Is the truth. Um, mm. There's a lot I do miss the interaction, meetings with staff. But actually, I live in the depths of Dorset. We've got quite a nice house. As you can see, my study is quite large. I'm not short of space. Um, I can look out, not from this window, but if I want to go and sit somewhere else in the house, we've got a stream at the bottom of the garden. So I can tick all the biophilia boxes without any <laughs> problems at all. Um, and it, I do have, I, I have a very short attention span. I'm incredibly easily distracted. So actually, if I'm in a room on my own, I can sometimes force myself to just get on and focus. Whereas I, where I'm in an open plan office, 
because I like to think I'm a bit of a people person. I, I do, you know, I like to be involved in what's going on. Um, some might say interfere in what's going on, but I think <laughs> it, it's probably as good for my staff for, for me not to be in the office as it is for me. So, um, but there are all the other issues. I do miss, I've just started having some more face-to-face -face meetings in the last couple of weeks since the start of January 2022. I've started seeing, I've seen a few suppliers and that face-to-face -face interaction, I, I'd sort of forgotten actually that, you know, there is a sort of chemistry, the body language, the just, the, I, the, there's all sorts of parts about it. And I think particularly when you're on a Teams or a Zoom, there is an agenda and it's just so easy to dive straight into that, go boom, 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 get through what he's doing and then leave. And, and I've literally in the last couple of weeks, just from chance conversations with people, other opportunities and ideas have cropped up that I'm certain just wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been face-to-face -face because the environment wouldn't have been right for the conversation to go in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There is um, there is a fair bit of thing around there, around particularly innovation. Uh, when you're working in um, the, the ideas environment, does that can you actually do the innovation thing over Teams and Zoom and things like that? Um, and I'm I think very much for me the jury's out. We've been able to do some of it, but it still isn't as rich as being it being able to be in a room with a whiteboard um, and just to be able to splurge ideas up there. And and there's something about the body language and 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 the lack of or the ability to talk over each other and not talk over each other and interact in a different way. So yes, no, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Um, I think that interact, sorry, that interaction thing. I think also is actually um, there was an interest. I haven't actually had a chance to read it, but I just saw probably on LinkedIn this morning, Barco, who do some tools for um, uh, uh, video conferencing and that sort of thing. They just published some research, and it was something like twenty-eight percent of people think they're actually just missing out. I think it was in their careers. I say it was only grabbing a headline, but yeah. through remote remote meetings, because you know you need to be a really good facilitator or chairman to run a meeting. The hybrid one is even more difficult than actually everybody being remote. So I think we'll see some problems with that. Where as we move more to a hybrid mix, that people just actually just sort of almost get left on the edges because they're introvert or they're not. They, they need to go away and think about the idea rather than jumping straight in as other people will. So, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of management skills that we need to work hard at that are that are we're discovering different needs that maybe we've never really fully understood how good or bad we were at it beforehand because we didn't need to. No, I think that's very true because the I'm going to be giving a, a a talk for the IT in a couple of weeks. I think it is. Um, and that's, they, they do that as a hybrid event. So normally I would either do an online thing, you know, like this, or you do it face-to-face. -face. The idea of having to match two audiences at the same time, that, for the first time in a while, worries me. Um, how, do you, how do you... I'd rather do one or the other well. Um, both, I think that's very difficult. And then the further thing in that, of course, depending on the requirement, is... I just really struggle with meetings where you're just looking at somebody's initials and they haven't got the camera on. Now, yeah. I get that some people really struggle with that. Um, but actually, I mean, I've, I've, my training manager, Stuart Empwistle, runs quite a lot of remote training and I help with him on some of that. And, you know, having looking at however many, you know, a third of them 
you've only seen them for two minutes when they checked in this morning and you don't even know if they're there whether you're talking to yourself i think that's that's even more difficult as a presenter or trainer but also to you know how much value is there in it because if the presenter's struggling to know whether they've actually getting their message over then you know how do you quantify whether that's working or not yeah and i this is where i have a lot of sympathy with a lot of um, university lecturers um having uh, supported some of them you can see that they just go in on zoom and then there's all the students in there there's and the, again there's just the dot 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 you, what do you, what are you talking to it's incredible um anyway what we'll do is we're just going to take a, a quick break and then we'll come back and talk um talk a bit more about you You are listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. Welcome back, and we're talking to Guy Osman from Osmond Ergonomics. So, Guy, from from the business perspective then, what does Osmond Ergonomics do? What makes you different from just a furniture, furniture online ordering company? Um, well, the first thing is obviously at a glance, we just sell furniture. But the difference is we had some consultants in, and, and, um, and I know there'll be a lot of people in, the, in, in watching this podcast and you're listening in due course uh, who are consultants. And of course, you know, for the non-consultant, it's great to get somebody in and pay them money to tell you the blindingly bloody obvious that was there. <laughs> all the time. But we need that. And I certainly did. And we we thought we what we were selling was products because actually that was what was on our invoices. But actually, we realize that people come to us for knowledge. You know, if they know exactly what they want, most people can do a web trawl and find the cheapest price or the quickest delivery or whatever they're looking for. Whereas most people come to us with a problem. For, de- for the, the, the ergonomics part, not so much on the project type stuff, but the majority of our business is dealing with people with musculoskeletal problems, people now, particularly home workers, who realize that what they've got just isn't adequate. So they don't bring up and have a list of price, you know, just with a list of part numbers and say, can you give me a price? They actually ring up and say, I've got a whiplash injury or I've been working at my dining table and I've got this terrible pain across my neck. And Or a lot of them say, I've been to see the physio and they said we should ring you or a chiropractor because mm-hmm. we do it a lot of uh, with uh, sort of medical professionals who encounter the people with those needs. So, so the, I suppose to sum it up, the difference is most office furniture suppliers probably start with a conversation that something along the lines of we need X chairs or we need to fit out a room for 20 people, whereas the majority come to us and say, here's my problem, how can you help? Oh, that's really interesting then. So without being rude, and this possibly is rude, but are ergonomic chairs not just like really expensive chairs? Is there, is, what, what, what sets an ergonomic chair aside from, from your standard office chair? The main thing is that if you look at a standard office chair, especially one that is made in China and um, fully leather with fixed arms and says it's an ergonomic chair on the box, so you know it must be ergonomic, <laughs> and costs forty nine ninety nine. Um, apart from, I mean, no, I'm not being particularly disparaging to Chinese products because some of their stuff is great. There's all sorts of stuff being made, indeed in the UK, that's pretty much rubbish, but around the world. But the problem is, 
that first of all, a lot of chairs, probably in, in number terms, absolutely the, minor the majority, are not very, uh, are not properly adjustable. So they don't have enough knobs or levers to get them in the right posture for you. But actually, even what they do have, quite often the geometry is not very good. So we probably all sat in a, a cheap chair, office chair in one of those sort of office superstores or whatever, or even a Scandinavian furniture store in their office section and sat on it, pulled the lever and leant back. And suddenly the, the support you had on your lumbar area just vanishes and there's a great space of air. So the geometry of a lot of cheaper chairs is um, is not right. Another common thing is, I mean, when I started nearly 30 years ago, our chairs all had fixed armrests, but most of them now are height adjustable. But quite often, they're actually set quite far forward. So actually, if you're quite slim or petite, you can't, and not a problem I have, of course, but you, you, you can't get close enough to the chair, uh, to the desk. Mm. So there are a lot of things like that, that collectively just mean it's quite difficult to, to suit you. I mean, it may, there are individuals who will find a chair for not much money that exactly fits them, but that's more an accident of where they've looked and how big they are rather than actually the fact that the chair they're looking at offers particularly good ergonomic qualities. So, so the main thing, the, main, the biggest reason first is that from the, from the chairs we sell that offer all the features you would hope for in terms of a good ergonomic setup is um, there aren't so many made, so inevitably they will cost more money just for the volumes involved. A lot of them are much more bespoke components, so the cheap ones you get them uh, will be a, basically a kit of armrests and casters and bases and all the rest of it. Um, and then also there will be the configurability of them. So there will be various different models available. There were in different seat sizes and all those other bits and pieces. And the add-ons you may need if you've had a whiplash and need a neck support or something like that. So, so yes, they are usually more expensive than you would otherwise pay. But one of the things we do quite well, not so much recently because we haven't been able to put people in that scenario, but where people come in or we take a selection of chairs um, to, to, to show them, um, then, you know, if they're sitting on a rubbish chair, they don't have to tell us what we think when they sit on a chair that we've found is the right size for them and properly set up, because you can see it on their face and their whole body language. They actually, you see them relax, you see them smile, their face sometimes even lights up. So, um, so yes, they're expensive compared to what you can pay, but, you know, if you get it right then it's well worth it. And obviously, we spend, particularly these days, enormous periods of time on um, sitting, at, you know, at our, at our workstation. You, you know, you make sure when you buy a car that you can get a comfortable posture and a comfortable sitting position. You, spend, you buy a bed and probably put quite a lot of time and energy and money into making the right mattress or bed choice. A chair that you can spend eight or often more hours per day in you know, why not put a bit of time and effort and a bit of science into thinking about what you need? Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, I mean, it, it's um, it's it's almost why wouldn't you, isn't it? Because the you do spend an awful lot of time in the office chair, and it's the um, um, probably the strongest relationship you've got um, with a piece of furniture. So, from what you're saying, then it it's one of these things that how do you know when it's right? And I guess what what I'm trying to get to here is, is say you can sit in any chair and I'm, I guess I'm as bad as anybody else. I'll sit, I'll sit there and I'll make it work, which for an ergonomist is, is really bad. But how do I know when the chair is right for me? How do I know 
when without giving away any of your sort of secret sauce as it were but yeah. how, how do i how do you how do you know when success has been hit well we know it from how successful we are with you know the feedback we get from customers but there's there's three elements to it i would say the first thing is actually identifying the need classic ergonomics that's straightforward stuff but not just you know what's the person like how tall are they how much you know all the anthropometric data their body measurements so we're going to get it right to actually physically fit them then it's identifying the right chair or the right combination of components for a chair to get it right for that individual and then the other thing which is really really important is the training because like right. any complex tool, if you just wheel a chair into somebody and say, there you go, figure it out, um, how, whatever the money they spend, they're not going to optimize the value and the benefit they get from it. So we make a big play out of the follow-on part and what we call, if it's an, in, if it's an individual, you know, what we call installation setup and training, where we show them what the knobs and levers are for, show them how to set them up, show them why they would want to do that and what they're trying to achieve. So... Um, and if it's for lots of people, then you try to find the best, you know, we, we, when, if it's a sort of a bulk order, we would propose a handful or depending on the client, two to six different models, lots of people to try them. Inevitably, there's going to be compromise, but you find the best possible compromise for everybody. And also specify a product with quite a lot of adjustability in it so that the maximum number of people can get the benefit. So from what you're saying then, a lot of that consultancy and part of it, the consultancy, the training, that that part, um, is a big part of what you do. So how have you managed to do that during COVID? How have you managed to do something um, which you, is very engaging that now remotely, um, is, that, is that not proven a bit of a challenge? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the biggest problems for us is when we simply, simply haven't been able to do that. We've been working on tools and we've actually just done um, – We've actually just been a rollout for home worker chairs to one particular client where for all sorts of reasons, um, it just wasn't viable. Well, they, they basically didn't want us to do individual setups. Mm. Um, there was a further complication that there were some chairs to be collected, so we also had to go in and get them, but a lot of them were drop-offs. So in this case, this particular contract, we delivered chairs knocked out, KD knocked down in boxes, which is completely contrary to anything we had ever done prior to COVID. But what we did is prior to delivery, sent them an unboxing video. Then we followed up with a, this is how to set it up video. And then various other resources, posture guidance, how to get to do. So we weren't able to do it face to face, but we were as close as we could reasonably get in the circumstances. And the interesting thing is it was a four email sequence and we're looking at over 90% opening and nobody unsubscribing for the whole four email sequence, which I, I'm, I'm without question. That is the most successful campaign <laughs> we've ever run. It's obviously not a sales campaign. It's a customer service one, but we're, we're using that as a template now to actually look at a similar sort of setup for other, other users. So, Presumably then through COVID, whereas a lot of businesses have, have had to almost um, slow working, I mean, hospitality and that was, was a complete nightmare. You must have seen um, with this drive to work from home, was there a big uptake in, in, um, in chairs and stuff going into the home environment? There was, and it's interesting how it sort of evolved. I mean, for quite a long period, probably a year, I just said, well, we're just a home worker chair company. It was almost as though everything else we're doing had fallen by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, there's one thing I love about a lockdown 
is you don't have to confirm when they're going to be in. You don't have all the logistics <laughs> complications of which days suit you and what time and all the rest of it. Um, you just say it's coming and you can be pretty safe. If they're not there, then they damn well should be. So, <laughs> um, so, so yes, that's, um, that's, there has been a boom. What we've seen now is we're getting a growing, a, a quite rapidly growing now, a number of people who are with, with very specific needs going back to, so a lot of it has been sort of pretty generic type, good quality chairs to fit most people um, to get them out as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. What we're now seeing is growing numbers of people who, who for whatever reason, whether um, they never got a chair or, or it never been properly addressed or they never made enough noise about it, with the sort of musculoskeletal problems that we've always dealt with in the workplace, we're now getting growing numbers of people at home saying, look, I just can't cope anymore. I've got to do something about my neck or my backache or whatever. So that's growing. What's also happening is, is the big employers are now saying, hang on a minute, we're buying these one a day, two a day, 20 a day. Let's actually stop and see how many we actually need. So there's a hiatus while they work that out and do the numbers and all the rest of it. But what we're also starting to see, and I think that's going to get a, get worse, we're getting peaks and troughs of demand. So we've got one client, for example, has just said they need some sit-stand adapters for us, the things that go on the desk to give you the stand capability. They've gone from buying um, two a month uh, to in January, because they'd open up a client portal that employees to actually order, um, they'd gone from two a month to giving us an order for about 150 the first week in January. We've just had another order for 100 odd. So these were this was an employer that prior to Christmas thought their need was a couple a month, suddenly finding their need appears to be more like 100 a month. Wow. So, and so that suggests a pent-up need, which we're going to start to see. So... Um, yeah, so so that how the business changes. The next issues I think is with these peaks and troughs of demand is actually being able to fulfil orders because you're familiar with the raw material problems and all the rest of it. And you know that hundred and another hundred that's just with one client and just with us. So if you multiply that out globally, because a lot of these products are manufactured for a global market. There's going to be suddenly, it's going to be a bit like the car set, car car arrangements. You know, one minute you'll be able to get, get the model you need, and the next minute you'll have to look at either an alternative model or six weeks' wait. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you mentioned in that as well that, I mean, we focus a lot on chairs because I think you automatically look at chairs when you're um, talk, talking around this issue, but it's not just chairs, though, is it? What what else should we, we be considering in our, in our home office? The absolute biggest issue for lots and lots, I would say probably a majority of people, is space. Looking at where you can put something. There's all the other issues about do you want something you can lock away at night or shut the door on it? Because most people haven't got a room that they can just walk away at the end mm. of the day. So is it something they can put in a corner of a room or do they, you know, can they cover it up or whatever? I mean, we, we, we launched a sit-stand desk, which actually shuts down into a cupboard. So you can have it in a corner room and the whole thing just shuts away at the end of the day. But space, any space is a big issue for people. And we are seeing it a lot because we have got clients where we've been asked to deliver a chair. And when we get there, we again realize that the chair is only part of the solution and on its own probably isn't going to be a very good solution. So the, the situation with desk space is, is, well, space generally obviously first implies the desk. 
And and the problem we have is we have these, you know, the web, you know, the South American River Company or the Swedish Furniture Company, as I say, that, you know, they flog homeworking desks on their websites without really any thought about how suitable that is. So, you know, our biggest bugbear at the moment is people buying or having, you know, it starts out with people buying um, desks and actually, or um, uh, dressing tables. And you mentioned Kirsty. I remember a conversation I had with Kirsty Angra where she was sitting at her dining, uh, sorry, at her dressing table and actually removed the middle drawer because she just couldn't get the position right. Mm. And so what we're seeing is people that, get a chair which should solve most of their a lot of their problems but actually they've got a a desk which has got a drawer this deep in it so actually they can't get the right posture around that table it's not a desk it's a table with a drawer in it so that's another area we're seeing a lot of problems with at the moment but trying to find enough space to actually work effectively is is i would say most people's problem and it, i guess houses haven't really been built to you know, the, the vast majority of houses, um, I think from what you said earlier, and I'm in a similar situation where I'm lucky I've got some space that I, I can use and all that sort of stuff, but the vast majority of, of office workers won't have a house that's got a, a de- you know, a proper built-in office. It's, pro- it's probably got a, a small room on the ground floor that's been sold to them as an office, but actually it's probably, what, a metre and a half square or something like that. You're not in a room to swing a cat, never mind, have a, a, a proper desk in there. Um, so I guess... At the moment, the employer in the office, in the in the true office space, has that responsibility to make sure that, and, and that's clearly defined. You're going to work. You expect to have your desk. You expect to have a, the chair that's appropriate. You do your DSE assessment, um, and make you know you the, the the legal obligations. I think are very clear. How do you think that changes now? With because this pan, this hybrid working stuff isn't going away. I think people have seen you know have seen the light to a certain extent that, that that there is flexibility to be had and it's good for employers, it's good for employees. But where do you see that legal responsibility changing or the employer's responsibility to the employee? And I don't have you got any insights on that? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is I was talking to Matt Bertels, the lead economist at the Health and Safety Executive, quite recently, and he was saying that. Um, DSE regulations have been sort of on the back burner at the HSE because they've got other more pressing issues and, you know, they're they're already quite old and there's a lot of work in in reviewing what's going on with it. But he was saying that actually they have come back sort of, they're a a key topic to be thinking about now. Whether DSE regulations in the format they currently stand are sufficiently applicable is a topic for another whole podcast debate, (laughs) but we won't get into that. But um, I think... At the, at the very beginning, the HSC said to employers, they, they publicly said, look, don't worry about it. This is a temporary arrangement. And therefore, you don't just, you know, give as much guidance as you can, but you don't have to rush around doing stuff for start. Um, what everybody's now agreed is you can't call two years temporary oh. alongside the actual COVID demands, whatever happens post-COVID, if we ever fully get to whatever post-COVID might be, the hybrid workplace is undoubtedly here to stay. People working from home, working from the office and working elsewhere. And so employers now have to accept that they have a responsibility. If you define your employee's workplace as their home, there's all sorts of contractual complications and legal issues and so forth again. But from the fundamental duty of care issue, if you say to somebody, your role now is home-based, then you have a responsibility, in my view, 
exactly the same as you would if you said, here's your office, that's your desk there, go and make yourself comfortable. So I think, and we are now seeing employers, the more dynamic ones are now well down the line. Some are literally having client, you know, employee portals saying, here's all the kit you might need, just pick what you need. Some mm. are putting constraints, so you might need knock health approval or you might need a facilities approval or a line manager approval. But, you know, the, the, the switched on employers are saying, we just need to do this. And, um, and it's interesting how they're approaching that. It is to see, it is heartening in many ways. It's it's really a, a positive that employers are now seeing that as a. It is a positive plus. They're not being forced to do it yet. I, I I've got no doubt that that will come. But at the moment, you're right. There are a whole bunch of people out there who are actually saying we get better, we get more out of our employees this way. So we'll look after them in order um, to treat them like the, I guess the good asset that they are. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Through certainly, well, it's, it's ongoing, but right from early in COVID, that the mental health issues of home working were very much a focus. And I, I don't question that, that's absolutely right. But I think the musculoskeletal, the physical health issues have been neglected, I was going to say a bit, actually quite a lot as a result of the focus on mental health. And, and that, you know, we all know that mental and physical health are completely interconnected. You can't just say, well, let's sort out the mental health and we won't worry about the physical. They're all intertwined and therefore um, it's just essential that actually employers take the holistic view on how they're going to look after their people. And, and that will make them more productive, of course, to be commercial about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, and that's, you know, all of this stuff is a positive to the bottom line in the grand scheme of things. Speaking of um, bottom line then, how are you going to be changing your business then with what you've learned so far? Have you got have you got any significant changes coming up in the future or are you, are you happy with the, way, with the way things are going? We're going to offer a, a, a different range of services that we build on. There clearly is not everybody has a demand at this moment for what we used to do, which mm. was to rock up with a fully trained, our, our installation team, they're all qualified display screen equipment assessors so they understand the process or they don't do an assessment. So not everybody wants that. So we have to flex the supermarket. Um, we're, we're, we're making a lot more of our resources are available, are becoming available um, uh, on the internet. So more stuff, uh, or building on what we've done, we're just about to, to start shooting. We're up to about 50 tips and tricks really which will be everything everything about sort of well actually we're doing everything from how to how pregnant women can get more comfortable at their desk through to forest bathing and a whole mix of stuff taking a holistic view to the human factors so we're going to be doing a lot of little sort of um snippets of video so we've said 2022 for us is a year of knowledge sharing so we're going to if you if you like sort of turbocharge the stuff we've already got but add a lot more because i think the one thing i've really noticed is and and, and we'd speak to this barry when you work in or live and commit and sort of communicate in an ergonomics human factors community everybody pretty much gets it you're not yeah. having to explain what you do or why you do it or anything because people understand the need and its application everything else I've been amazed just sort of watching stuff on LinkedIn 
at, you know, the simple example, you know, people buy a sit-stand desk from an online supplier. It arrives in a box. They're very proud they've assembled it, plugged it in, and it works. But they've been given no training about how to use it. And we mm. joke about spending nearly 30 years teaching people how to sit, and now we're teaching people how to stand. Mm. And and the stuff, you know, when we deal with very large clients where they have occupational health departments, they have health and safety, they have facilities, they have ergonomists, they've got the whole scope of support. All of this stuff is built into the training and knowledge. It's part of the knowledge that's within the business. One man or one woman band, small businesses, you know, they, they, they don't, the stuff we take for granted, they just don't know. And when you tell them, they think, oh my God, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, information to just make available i think to people i think that's going to be um hugely interesting and i'm really looking forward to seeing these um these snippets and basically this 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 turbocharged knowledge uh when it becomes available so thank you very much for uh sharing that with us we'll just get into the my my new feet or newish feature now uh which is to bring the interview to a, a, a nice and, and some potentially amusing close um what i'm calling the the final three so the, the, these are the same three questions that i'm asking every guest now going forward um so f- to hit the first one what is your go-to book or paper or reference and it could be technical or fiction entirely up to you that, that you keep on going back to what's your what's your go-to read the I, i've given a lot of thought to this and i have a very low attention span so actually finishing a book is quite an achievement for me so i've actually I and mean, there've been sort of childhood stuff and all the rest of it but i do read a lot and i read a lot online i read a lot of magazines and actually the one ongoing resource that i find really makes me think is wired magazine i don't know if you know mm, wired yeah, yeah. magazine no wired but I just find that, you know, they're long, detailed, research-based articles um, and about all sorts of, I mean, the last month, the new one's just come in, I haven't even had a chance to look at it yesterday, that, but the, you know, there was stuff about sustainability, there's all sorts of fascinating things about people replanting rainforests by having drones that basically, like a giant pea shooter that shoots seeds into the ground. I mean, sorry, it sounds such a random thought, I know why that one came. <laughs> But I just find I get quite excited about new technology ideas. And so I find month on month that's you know really quite invigorating. In terms of what I'm reading right now, which again is the sort of the most uh, interesting sort of from Spanish, um, Beyond the Workplace Zoo, Nigel Oseman's book, I think mm-hmm. has got some really useful and interesting insights. I know he's just spoken, but actually I suggested to uh, Nuzman at the Charter Institute to get him along as a speaker, uh, speaker, which he's done. So I think I like that that's research-based. I think certainly in the workplace, there's a lack of proper research you know we can't go to people and say you really need to buy sit stand desk because this this and this yeah, says. Yeah. there's lots of research but quite often you know n equals six or something so you know, <laughs> it's not it's not actually something you can say this beyond doubt is unequivocal evidence that this needs to be done so um so yeah that's my that's my sort of cool. thought for the moment so if you could go back in time what advice would you give to your younger self Nothing to do with work. I'd say leverage yourself to the eyeballs and invest in property. So that would be looking around. That's that's something I should have done more. I've I've, I've done some, but I, you know, in terms of, you know, at my great age, that starting to think about retirement and pension and all the rest of it, I think the absolute safe bet would have been more property. I mean, as it turns out, you know, I'm 
not too badly off. You know, if you remember the size of me, I'm not starving to death, so it's not an issue. Um, but yeah, that's the one thing I would be looking, or invest, whether it's pension or however you do it, if you're not interested in property. But I, my thinking at the moment is that would be where I am right now. If I'd done that years ago, that would have been a useful thing to have. My problem is I like spending it too much rather than investing it. Um, well, that, yes, that's... Oh, okay, then the other investment is don't get too excited about fast cars, fine wine and watches. That's probably <laughs> yeah, another way true. around to be yes. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and final one then, um, and it's kind of me cheating about where to go next, but it's um, who would you suggest I interview next? Who would you like to hear being uh, grilled on this? Well, again, I, I, I think it's useful to look at people coming at it from a different angle and so i spend quite a lot of time in the sort of workplace design community attending seminars and i'm always fascinated by how much overlap there is between what's said there but it's never in the it's seldom in the context of human factors and economics mm -hmm. it's, it's more about employee motivation engagement all the rest of it and similarly there's not much in sort of economics conferences and things that sort of overlap towards the sort of the more practical things. So, I mean, I mentioned Nigel Oseland, he's just done it. The other guy I had in mind, who doesn't come from human factors background at all, but has real experience of workplace design and the psychology and all the, a, a lot of stuff written, re two really interesting books, is, is Neil Usher, right. who, uh, who's written various uh, books and, and consults on all sorts of really, and he's a deep and wide thinker as well. So, um, Whereas, you know, when you get me, I'm quite shallow. You know, I'm deep as a puddle in my thought processes. <laughs> so, so if you want something to expand it into a into a sort of bigger picture type thing, I think Neil would be a good idea. Fantastic. Thank you for, for the recommendations. And and thank you for your time today. It's been really insightful into in into something I think everybody takes for granted, but but you're proving quite uh, quite admirably that actually we need to put a lot more thought into it. How can people get in touch with you if they uh, if they want to know more about um, what it is you do and for their ergonomic office? So I mentioned our website, ergonomics.co.uk. Uh, my email address is guy.osman at ergonomics.co.uk. Um, and if you can't remember all that, then info at ergonomics.co.uk. Or I'm on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So if you search on Guy Osman, there's not many of us. There's one in the States I know of. But if you get the name spelt right, and probably not, well, there's some people old enough to remember Donnie and Marie. That's the spelling of Osman. Right, and Barry's pretending not to quite remember. So I think they've been around for, they're still playing Donnie and Marie Osman. <laughs> still playing Las Vegas, I think. Many moons ago, I could say that immediately and anybody would know, but giving Perfect. my age away with that one. So yeah, <laughs> LinkedIn's probably the best bet, Guy Osmond on LinkedIn. Perfect, thank you. And we'll make sure that all them details are on your guest profile at 1202podcast.com. Um, so thank you very much for that. Really, really appreciate it. And okay. just, just in a, a bit of a wash-up, we I'm still moonlighting on Human Factors Cast. So you can come and join Nick Rome and myself weekly at 10 p.m. UK time to talk about topical weekly news and issues in the human factors domain. We are live on our social media platforms, and which scares the living daylights out of me every week. And and we'll try and keep them linked through as best we can. So do feel free to come and join us. Any when if you come and drop chat messages and things like that, they do come through straight to the live and in the pre and the post show we're more than happy to have them sort of conversations it's quite good fun this podcast is a, becoming available on a wider number of platforms in, including youtube for a more visual experience and we're getting more and more i was going to say competent i wouldn't necessarily 
go that far, but we're getting more adept at pushing the right buttons at the right time. But we're also going to try and see how we can develop some shorts. Guy mentioned some of the, the, the ideas that he's got, um, but I'm trying to work out how we can use some of this content to create minute-long clips, which will make it ideal for the likes of Instagram, TikTok even. I've, we've got a 12 or 2 TikTok account. I just don't know what to do with it. Um, but that's going to require a bit more learning from myself, and so trying to fit that in, we'll have to wait and see. We are very excitingly close to the 10,000 download target um, that I initially set when we set this podcast up. And we're going to be hitting that um, two years earlier than I anticipated. So I'm very excited about that. We've got, it is less than a thousand to get there. So there's going to be an episode coming up where we're going to have fireworks, cake and all that sort of stuff without the fireworks and without the cake probably. But we will be doing something in that. But it is really, really exciting. I didn't think we'd get that, get there that this quickly. Um, but for now, thank you all for your time and see you all on the next episode. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human the Factors, Factors Podcast. Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next See time. You next- and remember, it's more than just common sense.